0: Well hey, good morning Brookside. It's uh, great to see you. I too just want to um, say welcome to you if you're a guest here with us today. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors here at the church and um, yeah, it's just a privilege uh, for us to be able to be together here this morning. I want to apologize to you today for my, my voice. Um, uh, my daughter said I better say something on the front end of the talk. She said last night, she said, Dad, you're, I got a cold this week and she said, Dad, your, your voice is kind of cracky a little bit. She said, you actually sound like a donkey, you know, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, thank you, love. I appreciate that, you know, and, and I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't think it's fair to blame your sickness on someone else. You know what I mean? I don't think it's fair to say so-and-so got me sick, you know, because they really didn't try to get you sick, you know, and, and so I decided that I would not blame my sickness on my wonderful, now over his cold five-year-old son, Easton, you know, and, um, <laughs> This week, I got to be honest, um, he's testing my love, you know, and uh, it's still there, but it's it's been tested a little bit, so... Anyway, um, today we are in part two of a four-part series, and uh, we're doing this series in conjunction with a lot of different churches in the city, which is really fun, and the, the, um, the series is called Everybody Wins, and so it's four parts, different sermons in each church, um, but we're doing this together collectively um, with, with multiple churches throughout the city, and the thing that excites me most um, about this series that we get to be in is that the, these are their churches that are coming together in our city And there's a level of intentionality with that and this is really a three-year effort Well, we'll, we'll kind of come back to doing something together for the next couple of years, and it's just exciting It's exciting to be a part of that the churches in the city many of them are looking and they're saying hey we want to live for the greater good of this city. And how can we expand the gospel uh, effectively and work together in doing that? So it's, it's fun to be a part of this. Everybody wins. Well, today, um, I also wanted to mention this. As many of you know, this year we've been reading through the Bible uh, together. And so if you go to our website, you see this icon, 365. And I just want to continue to encourage you in that effort. Um, keep going. You're doing a great job and uh, know too that um, if you're newer to brookside or if you haven't jumped in yet you can go online anytime you can catch right up and find just jump in where we're at today and um, you can begin um, in that reading plan a guy in my small group and he said this this week he's just really wanting this discipline of reading god's word and hearing from god each day he's he's he want he's wanting that to really impact his life and and so he said to our small group this week he said hey I want to do something called the 7-7 Challenge. He said, if I miss one day of either reading or journaling about what I'm reading this week, I owe each of you seven bucks. I was like, oh, that's cool, you know, that's a good deal. Another guy chimes in. This is a text message uh, conversation between the whole group. And another guy chimes in. He says, I'm in. If I miss one day, seven bucks for each of you. So I texted the remaining guys and was like, I had a real pastoral moment here. I said, let's hide their Bibles. Like, I mean... (laughs) kids college coming up and all sorts you know well this morning here's the thing we are in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and um, I got to tell you when pastor Steve gave me this teaching assignment um, I got really excited as I began to study it because this is a real gem in the scriptures this is one of those passages that's not very long but it's packed with meaning. It's packed with meaning not only for, for when it was written at that time, but also for us today. And it, it really foreshadows an event and a reality for each one of us that is so significant. And so I'm really excited um, about where we're going uh, this morning. Um, before we dive in, though, um, I'd love for us just to pray together and just to say, hey, God, we come to you this morning <clears throat> And God, we're just asking you, would you speak into our hearts today? And so, would you pray with me, and, and then, we'll, then we'll dive in. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Um, Father, thank you that we can join you, that we can pray a prayer to you. We can have a conversation with you. And God, you directly, you hear us. We, you know us by name, and you love us so dearly. Father, we pray as Brookside Church, as one expression of your local church, we pray for the other churches in our city today. And Father, we pray for the good of the city. We pray that the gospel message would go out in this city, that more and more people would be finding the incredible grace of God. And Lord, this morning, we just want to say to you now, in these next moments, Lord, our hearts are open to you. And God, we pray that you would um, speak into us, Lord. We humble ourselves before you and say, God, would you speak into us in this place? And so, Lord, we love you, and uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we're going to be talking about the topic of kindness, and um, everybody wins when kindness is expressed. I think you would all agree with that. And I want you to think about a time in your life when you were the recipient of kindness. Someone was kind to you. Someone was telling me this week, they were recently at a coffee shop, and they were going through the drive-thru, and and they finally got up to the to the cashier, and the cashier said, "You can just keep on going because the person in front of you paid for several people behind you. Go on your way. Have an awesome day." And they were like, "Ah, that's awesome. Just made their day." Uh, this gal in our church, she was um, she was talking about her husband, and, and she said, "You know, my husband noticed that this gal that we see fairly regularly, she kept." driving her car on this little bitty spare tire. And so he asked about it and kind of got the details and understood the situation a little bit. And and sure enough, he just initiated the process of going and getting that fixed for her. It made her day. It was an act of kindness. Now, isn't it true that an act of kindness, it just sticks out. It, It catches your eye. An act of kindness, it changes your demeanor when you're the recipient of that or even when you're the person who's able to express it. Um, The apostle Paul said this He was listing the things that are true of a follower of Jesus And one of them was kindness He said this He said the fruit of the spirit Or in other words you can think of it this way The outpouring of a life that's submitted to Christ It's going to be marked by love, joy, peace, patience And then he says kindness This thing called kindness Um, Wouldn't you agree oftentimes kindness is contagious Isn't it true that when someone um, does an act of kindness to you, sometimes you feel more prompted then to turn around and do an act of kindness to somebody else. Maybe you remember that movie, Pay It Forward. Remember that uh, with Helen Hunt and Kevin Spacey? And, and uh, it was a, a, a very, you know, it was a box office hit, big time movie. And, but what that movie did was it prompted, it encouraged people to go out and to step into areas of darkness, into places where it would be totally unexpected, and to do acts of kindness. When you do an act of kindness, lots of times it's so far from the norm. It's such a contrast. Um, this week I was at the gym, and there was this guy talking, and this, he's become a friend, and, and he was talking to a group of us, and, and in the midst of this whole topic that he was talking about, he said, this world is so messed up. That's actually the cleaned up version of what he, that's the edited for church version of what he said, but, but his point was this. Very clear. He made it very clear. The point was, this world, there's a lot going on. And a lot of it's negative. I mean, if you watch the news headlines, um, random acts of kindness, acts of kindness, they do not dominate the headlines, do they? Not at all. And so when you see an act of kindness, boy, it catches your eye. It stands out to you, doesn't it? This week I um, I was driving... Uh, down this road and I was kind of up on top of this hill And so I could see had a really good look kind of being up high and I could see this sky really really well Just this vast sky and it looked like this. It was a remember some of these days last week Cloudy days the kind of day that if you're not having a good day the weather's not helping you know what I mean? It was one of those days and and I could just see the vast sky in, in front of me and then this was so cool this is what I then saw floating up into this sky full of clouds there was a balloon it looked just like this and I thought to myself my my thinking went from oh wow this is a cloudy ugly day to I thought of the balloon now when you think of a balloon what do you think of I think of a party I mean, yeah, it's celebration, right? I mean, you you give a balloon to someone when you want to cheer them up. An act of kindness is like this. It's like you're stepping into what is the norm oftentimes, maybe kind of negative, but you're bringing positive right into it. That's an act of kindness. And it just reminded me, okay, in the scriptures what we're going to see today is this. We're going to get to answer this question, and this is important. How do you and I become the kind of people that we have the fuel inside of us. We have the want inside of us. We have the ability inside of us to be these kind of people. That in the midst of maybe what looks dark or whatever, we bring a glimmer of light. How do we become those kind of people? What fuels that? The text that we'll look at today drives right to that point. And so here's our main point. If you're taking notes on your phone or in your, um, in your uh, uh, program today, here it is. Write this down. Extravagant grace prompts intentional kindness. Extravagant grace, what does it do? It prompts intentional kindness. Have you ever noticed this? A person who is very aware of the goodness, the grace, maybe the love, maybe the mercy that's been extended into their life, a person who kind of lives in that reality, oftentimes that person is more likely to be the person that extends kindness. They've experienced extravagant grace. They've experienced, or at least they're thinking about it, And as a result, it propels them to want to express that to other people. Today's text, and the reason I said it is a gem, is because we get an inside look this morning at what does it mean? How do we go about being a person that's continually prompted to be the the kind of person that extends kindness? So before we get to to where we're going to land, which is uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9... I just want to take a few moments, because as you know, we're reading through the Bible this year, and we're teaching then in line with that each Sunday. And so I want to take just a couple minutes and I want to back up and I want to fly just at like a 50,000 foot level here just for a few moments and catch us up on, okay, what has been taking place in the storyline of the Bible from the beginning to where we land today? And I think it'll be helpful as we unpack our text. And so so if you remember in the storyline of the scriptures, we start in Genesis and what do we have? We have God's awesome creation. God creates us to live in relationship with him. Genesis, it's a beautiful picture of us in relationship with him. But if you, you, know, you read through the story, you know that rebellion comes in and, and man says, you know what, I'm going to go my own way and kind of gives God the hand. And, and so we see the, the result of that and, and what that looks like. And, and then we see this though, we see that God remains faithful. We see that God even looks at one family, the family of Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make a a lasting covenant with the family of Abraham, and I'm going to bless that family, and through them, they're going to become a great nation, and they're going to become a blessing to many, many people. But all along the way to that, that blessing and that great nation, there are lots of twists and turns. The nation of Israel does become a great nation, so great that they become enslaved, and they experience that. You might remember that book of Exodus. You might remember the wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. And we see the people have ups and downs, ups and downs. And at the height of their ups, they're faithful, they're obedient to God, and at their lowest lows, they're disobedient to God, and they're saying, I don't want anything to do with God. But what we see about God in and throughout the scriptures is this. As humanity goes up and down, faithful, unfaithful, there's this constant thread of God's faithfulness straight through. So then you might remember that the people of God do then inherit this promised land, the land of Canaan. You might remember the the book of Joshua that we read together. Then you might remember the the period of the judges, when the people did such um, uh, erroneous sins that we saw in this book. We saw it over and over again. And one of the things that we saw coming out of the book of Judges is this need that Israel has for good leadership. And so now, by the time we get to to 1 Samuel, it's like there's a new era that's being ushered in. And it's called the United Kingdom of Israel. And what's taking place is this. The people have been saying, hey, we want a king. We don't want to be ruled by these judges anymore. We want a king. And so God, through the prophet Samuel, anoints Israel's first king. His name is Saul. Saul. And so in 1 Samuel, then we see Saul rise to power. We see him, you know, be anointed into the, the, being the king. And then we see his demise and his downfall. And then ultimately the book ends with his tragic death and the death of his sons. Then we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 2. And it's kind of a surprise, one of the first things that we see when we get to 2 Samuel, where we'll land today... That one of the first things we see is that David, he's now the new king in this united king, kingdom of Israel. David is the second king after King Saul, then comes King David. And what David is doing right off the bat in this book is he's lamenting the death of Saul, which is surprising to many. And if you know the story, you know that Saul was the one who hunted David down. Saul was the one who was so threatened by David that he, he was threatened by his success that he didn't want anything to do with him, and so he tried to kill him repeatedly. But in the midst of that, David, and he, David has a close relationship with Saul's son, David laments the passing of Saul and Jonathan, and we see him in this state of humility. Now, if you fast forward just a little bit in the book of 2 Samuel, then, uh, you see an event that we have to stop at before we get to 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the reason why it's so important is it's because it's one of those verses that's important in really understanding the whole storyline of the Bible, because here's what happens. David is, he's now, he's remorseful about the death of of the former monarchy with, with Saul, and In the the midst of that, God speaks some very important words to David, and he says to David, David, through your family now, David, through your family line, I'm going to establish my kingdom. It's this prophetic message, really, about Jesus Christ. And and it blew David away. I mean, it was like, really, Lord, you're going to establish your kingdom? You're going to bless my family line? And and God was saying, I'm not only going to bless your family line, but it's going to be a blessing forever. It's going to be an eternal covenant that I'm making with you. And this is why it's so important, and it really sets up where we're going this morning. Notice now David's response. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, David says this in response. He says, who am I? Lord, you've said that you're going to to make my family, my house, this blessing for all the generations to come. He says, who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for me a mere human David is blown away. David is thinking, Lord, how on earth would you do this blessing through me? David is experiencing right here extravagant grace. And because he's experiencing extravagant grace, it's blowing him away. He's saying, how can this be, Lord? Lord, who am I? Chances are, when you've had that experience where you've reflected on maybe the goodness or the grace of God in your own life, it caused you to go, whoa. It caused you to have like this sense of just gratitude in your life. If you had that, had an experience like that, and what's oftentimes true is this. When you feel that sense of gratitude, it, then in, it, it in turn propels you, it prompts you to do acts of kindness for other people. To share that same grace that's been extended to you. We see that right here in the life of David. David is blown away by God's grace. Now, we know this this is not the first time that David has experienced extravagant grace. If you know the story of David, Saul, like we said, is after David for much of his kingship until he's trying to, which honestly, that would have been so awkward because David was married to Saul's daughter. Imagine that. So here comes uh, Saul's daughter. Hi, honey, how are you? Good to see you. Um, Dad, what are you working on? Well, I'm still trying to kill your husband. I mean, uh, what? It's awkward. I mean, it's weird, right? But that's, that was the situation. But, but know this, in the midst of that, David found great loyalty. David found great um, um, grace. He found extravagant grace in one of Saul's sons. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan was the type of person that he looked at David and he said, My father Saul, I will be respectful of him but my father Saul is making very foolish moves and so Jonathan says to David and this would have been huge this would have been extravagant grace when David is being hunted and he is on the run Jonathan says to Saul I will do for you whatever you need me to do and then he makes a big statement he says may the Lord be with you as he was with my father David might God anoint you as his anointing was on my dad Big statement. I mean, think about Jonathan. He could have been next in line as the king, but he didn't do that. That's extravagant grace. Fast forward in the storyline, and we see that Saul and his three sons, they get in a battle with the Philistines, and Saul dies. His three sons die. Amongst those three sons is Jonathan, this guy that's been so loyal to David. That brings us then to 2 Samuel chapter 9, David is the recipient of all this grace. And what does it do? You're going to see this. It, it propels him. It prompts him to intentional kindness. And so David says this in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. It says this. David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? I love this. He's saying, is there anybody left? Because I don't, not that I need to, but he's saying, I want to. Out of the overflow, I want to show kindness. Now, notice David doesn't ask this question. He doesn't say, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that deserves kindness? He doesn't say, hey, and he could have said this very easily in his position. Is there anybody left in the house of Saul that is a big brute that would be really helpful in my military campaigns? He didn't say that. He didn't say, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that's really sharp? Because I could use some top-notch government officials. He didn't say any of that. He said, is there anybody in the house of Saul that I can just show kindness to? Because he was remembering how Jonathan had been so kind to him. And know this, there was no selfish gain in this for David. There was nothing that he was going to reap from this. So David hasn't forgotten Jonathan. Now I think what is also important to remember in all this, keep this in mind, things are really good for David. David is not in a place where his popularity is low. David is in a place where his military is stronger than it's ever been. David is in a place where the economy is doing well. And so there was no one, you know, there's not a lot of backlash. The people are happy. David is in a place, and this would have been so important, where there, his territory has expanded. The United Kingdom of Israel, there in Palestine, has gone from get this approximately six, uh, sixty square miles, or, or sorry, six thousand square miles to sixty thousand square miles of territory. David is doing really well. If you were to take a popularity survey at this point, David would win. People loved him. But in the midst of all of this, it does not impact his integrity. At the end of the day, David doesn't just say, God, you've blessed me. Now I can just kind of clean and take care of my stuff. And no, David says, Lord, you've blessed me. You've given me this extravagant grace. And Lord, so what am I going to do with this this extravagant grace? He says, I'm going to find a way. How How can I bless somebody else with it? And so then he finds this person in need. And so it, it says this it says this in, in verse 2. It says, Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. And they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. And the king, uh, the king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Now this is important here. Notice that it doesn't say, is there anybody in the house of, Hall, uh, house of Saul that's still alive that I could show, like, my kindness? Because I've got a lot to offer. I mean, look at everything I have. No, no, no. David has this perspective where he says, everything I have, all these blessings. He says, these are from God. And so is there anybody in the house of Saul that I can share God's blessings with, his kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, and he is lame in both feet. I think it's interesting. Right here in the text. It doesn't say the guy's name. It just says that he's lame in both feet. It's as though the conversation might end right there. David, you might not be interested in helping this. There's somebody left. But he's lame in both feet. Now here's what happened. When the news that King Saul had died and his son Jonathan had died... As you can imagine, one monarchy is going away and a new family, a new sheriff, a new king is coming to town. And in that day, it would have been very natural for the members of the former monarchy to have felt very threatened. And so it makes good sense that, that there would be a sense of even fear. And so what happened was this. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 4. When, when the news came, Saul is dead, Jonathan is dead, it caused extreme panic. Pandemonium was, went throughout, and you can understand why. And so here's what happened in the midst of that, and this is how it affects this person. It says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. And he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came. Again, that's the news that these two have died. They've passed away. When that, when that news came from Jezreel, his nurse picked, uh, picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and he became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, so that, that's what happened to him. Imagine, imagine the scene. There's panic, and so she picks him up, and we don't know exactly how it happened, but this young boy, this is Saul's young grandson, falls to the ground. He hurts his legs. He hurts his feet, and for the rest of his life now, he carries around this disability. Now, maybe they couldn't get the medical attention. Who knows what the situation was, but this child then uh, spends the rest, the balance of his life, grows into an adult with this disability. Now, we leave Mephibosheth as a five-year-old in the text there. And we don't hear anything more about Mephibosheth until about 15, maybe even 20 years later. And so now kind of fast forward in your mind. Years have passed. Mephibosheth is now an adult. He's lived with this severe, uh, severe handicap. And when we get to verse 4, it's so interesting. Because remember, Ziba tells this informant, tells David, there is still a son of, of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Notice this. David doesn't say, oh, Really? How bad is he disabled? David doesn't say, tell me what I'm getting myself into. How big of a deal is this? No, he doesn't say that at all. And I just want to pause here for a second and say this. We worship such a wonderful God, don't we? He shows no partiality. None. Absolutely none. Notice David's response. Verse 4, it says this. David's response, not, how bad is it? What am I getting into? He says, where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. And so David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. Now it's interesting, Lodabar is a place, the the name means this, it means a destitute place. It means a place where crops will not grow. And so it's as though... uh, This uh, Ziba is telling King David, hey, even the place where this guy comes from is destitute. He not only feels destitute, he is destitute and he comes from a place where nothing even grows. As though that's going to matter to David. And so this is what happens then in verse 6. It says this. It says, when Mephibosheth son of Jonathan, the son of Saul came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And you can imagine why he would have done that. The irony here, you can't miss it here in the text. This is a big deal because think about this. Poor Mephibosheth, he is what? He's from the family of Saul, the former monarchy. There's a new sheriff in town. Would not be good news for the old family, typically. Typically. So Mephibosheth is thinking this, not only am I being summoned to appear before the king, but I'm being summoned to appear before the king that my grandfather tried to kill repeatedly. For Mephibosheth, he would have no doubt approached that day in a terrified state. David responds, he says this, David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, and I wonder if he was thinking this, am I also at my death? Are you about to kill me for the erroneous acts of my grandfather? But David says this, verse 7. He says, Do not be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore, <laughs> he was shocked him, I bet, to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Now, notice these words. This is big, these three words. Don't be afraid afraid. This would have been such a breath of fresh air to Mephibosheth. Such a breath of fresh air. Now I want to take a time out here because I want to ask you this question. What do you think was the most common command that Jesus gave when he was in his three year time of public ministry? What do you think was the thing that he said? It's just two words. It's a command that he gave more often than any others that that came from his lips. Just two words. It's this. He said this. Don't fear. He said, don't fear. Jesus wasn't the type that when people came up to him, I mean, he's the son of God, the perfect son of God. People could have been afraid at his presence, in his presence, and he said, no, no, don't fear. He didn't come with like a harsh frown. He didn't come with like a, a club. No, Jesus came with open arms. The words of Jesus, don't fear. The words of David, do not be afraid. They drip with grace. It's exactly what David does here. And then it says this, keep going through this passage, verse 8, it says, Mephibosheth bowed down and he said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Now that's, I read that and was like, wow, it's going to make your heart hurt, you know? Let me ask you a question, do you know anybody that they might not say it like this, and this has all sorts of meaning, the words that he said there. They might not say it like that, but do you know anybody in your life that they're, they kind of live in that state? A dead dog like me. You know what I mean? They're just, they have, man, they, they have some tough times or they have a, a perception of themselves that is really hard. Let me ask you the question, what would it be like? If you, in the contrast of that dead dog like me, you stepped in and said, God, you've given me extravagant grace, you poured it out into my life, what would it be like if you showed up, boom, kindness, big time contrast, what would it do for them? Maybe, you're t- maybe this is you today, maybe you can relate to that. I would just pray for you and just say, I hope that today you hear about the extravagant grace of the God that is completely impartial and who loves you so dearly. David embraces this guy, dead dog like me. It's like, oh, you're you're not at all. He does it's just like he doesn't even have time for that. And so here's what here's what happens, here's what happens next. It says, Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. He says, you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, here it is, this is so important, will always eat at my table. He repeats this four times in just this short passage. This was such a big deal. To be invited to the king's table was like saying, you are my guest of honor or... You are my family. And that's what he did, actually. Not just my guest of honor. You'll come and you'll go. Your company. No, no, no. He's saying, you are like family. Now, Ziba had 15 sons. This is the servant and, and 20 uh, servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Now, imagine that. There's David. There's his other sons, there's Solomon, and then there's Mephibosheth. I love it. Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son named uh, Micah, and all of the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And then it says, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he what? He always ate at the king's table. And then it says, and he was lame in both feet, to which David would say, would you quit saying he's lame in both feet? Just tell me what his name is, right? Because I see right past it. And it's this wonderful picture, isn't it? It's a wonderful picture that God gives to us. Isn't it true? Extravagant grace, what does it do? Extravagant grace, it prompts intentional acts of kindness. David had experienced the blessing of God. David knew, okay, God, I can't believe that you're going to do this prophetic thing through my family. I mean, it just amazes me, God. God, I can't believe that you would provide Jonathan for me and, and, and he would stay loyal to me even though his dad was trying to hunt me. God, I can't believe then that you would expand the kingdom and, and, and everything would go like it is. And Lord, in light of all the ways that you've blessed me, what does it do? It prompts me to want to extend kindness to other people. You know, I was thinking this week about this big thing we wrote on the wall over there, For the City. I was thinking about our For the City initiative. One of the things that I love about this care center that we're going to be able to build is this. It's going to look like this. It's going to be just across that hall. This care center is going to be this, guys. It's going to be this reminder. When we walk down that hall, it's going to be a reminder to us each and every Sunday. God, the grace that you've poured out on us, we want to be the kind of church that we lavish, lavish grace and acts of kindness on those in need. We want to be that kind of people. We want to overflow with kindness. I want to leave you this morning with just two questions. Two questions I think really flow from this text. Here's the first one. Have you been impacted by extravagant grace? Have you been impacted by extravagant grace? The Apostle Paul, this just hit me this week. Just grabbed my attention. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and he's saying, who am I to be called an apostle? He's saying, I was the one, I persecuted the church, and so, so why, why would I even call myself an Apostle. And then he reflects, though, on the grace of God, and he makes this statement toward the end of that little section. He said, and his grace, God's grace to me, he says, was not in vain. He's saying, I've received extravagant grace, but that grace will not be in vain. He's saying, I'm, I am prompted to extend that grace to other people. On the spiritual front, the power of what this passage represents. Think about what it Think about what it foreshadows. On the spiritual front, you and I, we are just like Mephibosheth. We are him. Think about this David did not need to extend kindness to Mephibosheth, he did not need to at all. David could have done it in all sorts of ways. He could have sent the guy a little check, he could have sent him some crops, whatever. He could have ignored him completely, and no one would have missed a beat. But David said this, even though Mephibosheth had nothing to offer, he invites him to the table. God looked at you, God looked at me, Mephibosheth, and says, you don't have anything to offer. You're in your sin, but you know what? I'm not only going to reach, I'm not just going to send you a little token. God says, no, 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 I invite you to my table. But more than that, I invite you to my table as my son. I invite you to my table as my daughter. I invite you to my table as an heir. On the spiritual front, we're so much like Mephibosheth. But God reaches down and says, you know what? You're right. Mephibosheth, he didn't pay an entrance fee to get to the table that day. You and I, it says in the scriptures, for it is by grace that we have been saved. And this is not about ourselves. It is the free gift of God. Just before that, it says in the keyword. In the kindness of God, what did he do? He sent his son for us. That's extravagant grace. Have you received extravagant grace today? You know, you might be here today and you're kind of on a spiritual journey. And and I just want to encourage you. we got even folks this morning out at just wonderful people out at Connection Corner. And um, they would love to tell you about extravagant grace. They're wearing t-shirts that say, we're glad that you're here. And they would love to tell you about. What does it mean to experience extravagant grace? The second question that I want to leave us with this morning is this one. Here it is. Who is your Mephibosheth? Who's the person in your life that you just kind of go, you know what? That's the person. And they might not say, hey, like a dead dog like me. They might not have that language. But who's the person that you could come into? and, And honestly, the cloudy sky kind of represents how they feel, you know. But who's the person that you could be an active of kind, you could do an act of kindness, prompted not just because you're a good person. No, 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 that's not the point. Prompted because of the grace of God in your life, and it moves you. It, it makes you want to extend that. You know, maybe you look at your My Five for the City list this week, and, and you just go, you know what, that's one of my, that's a person. I want to extend extravagant grace to that person. Isn't it true? Extravagant grace, when we receive it, it prompts us to intentional kindness. And so let's do this. Let's pray together and and just ask God to to lead us this week. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you for this text. And what a a neat story. Um, Lord, thank you for what you did in the life of David. Thank you that he didn't just take extravagant grace and do nothing with it. But he said, you know what, I want it to prompt me, I want it to propel me to extend extravagant grace to others. And so, Father, we just want to pray, God, might Brookside Church, Lord, might we be a people that we are known for the extravagant grace you've given us and we're known for the intentional acts of kindness that it propels us to do. Father, if there's someone here today that hasn't experienced your grace, Lord, I pray that today they... They just realize the love of God is just waiting. And Lord, you invite us to your table. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your church. Thank you for what you're doing. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.